Hello, welcome to the Talk Popsy podcast. I am Dina Schottenkirk, the founder of Talk Popsy, Philosopher's Ontological Party Club. This podcast is a bit different than the others because this is not a conversation between a participant and a philosopher, which is what we normally do. Well, actually, I suppose it, that's not exactly true. I guess it is a conversation between a philosopher and a participant. It's just that I'm talking to myself, so I'm both the philosopher now and the participant. Yeah, but in any case, the, this podcast is a little different than the regular ones, as it's going to be a summation of the talk Popsy's third topic, Art as Cognition. What I started with my input into the topic and what we've heard from the many, many dozens of people that have sat down with a philosopher in our special tent and worked out their thoughts. But first, uh, I wanted to say a few words about the larger project itself. Talk Popsy is, in a nutshell, philosophy as art and art as philosophy. Yeah, I tried actually to get an acronym for that, but it came up with P-A-A-P, PAP, which of course sounds like PAP, and which brings to mind PAP smear, so it was voted down by everybody else. If anybody has another idea, I'm happy to hear that. But anyway, the art as philosophy, philosophy as art, it is the instantiation of the principle that both philosophy and art are conversation. I started this project in 2012 because it seemed obvious to say this, because the way both art and philosophy have been managed and presented to me just seemed wrong. Art and philosophy are not solipsistic, narcissistic echo chambers of one person's thoughts. Instead, when we make art, or when we write philosophy, we're putting down all that has flowed into us from others, all that we've learned and heard and noticed. In that way, we all make up the thoughts of each other. So my thoughts are really only just sort of my thoughts. They are also the thoughts and insights that others have given me. So, therefore, social epistemology, we form beliefs as a unit. It is like we're all together, just one big brain. <clears throat> therefore, our conversations that we at Talk Popsy have with people are just versions so little slices of this big brain. I see this oneness, this unitary quality, also in art. All art is just a little peephole onto the world. Maybe that was Duchamp's point with his peephole. I don't know. Each art piece is a little version of life, a little slice from the big picture. I recognized this fact when I was young, and so I developed a different way of making art. I make and remake, and remake again, just one picture. It's like the unitary neutral modism point. It's all the same thing. I guess that's like the Janis Joplin quote. It's all the same fucking day, man. I thought that was a good point. <laughs> I've repainted and redrawn, and so reimagined the same Jado image as the basis for all of my work for several decades. It's like at the beginning of the number line of art. Jado is like zero. It's the beginning. One image, one world. Because all other images in art are just time slices, prism slits of the one world. And the conversations, the public philosophy part of Talk Popsy, the process is the same. We are sampling thoughts, grabbing little moments of the unitary presence of consciousness, 
the topics start with me, the work that I'm working on. So our first project was nominalism. I had done a book on nominalism. Actually, actually, it was a book on Nelson Goodman and his nominalism. And I had done a bunch of artwork on the topic too. Drawings, installations, video, and an artist book. And I had an exhibition of all of the artwork down in Philly. And I thought, wow, how cool it would be to have another room that was devoted to the philosophy. So to have a bunch of philosophers milling around, answering questions from the gallery goers about the philosophical topic of nominalism and its opposite Platonism, etc. So I asked several philosophers from both UPenn and the Graduate Center, and they came, and they each wore this gold African hat I had bought from an African clothing store, and they milled and they chatted and they engaged people in conversation. And I thought, wow, how cool, how tremendously cool that was. And so I said to myself, I'm going to extend my art practice to involve in-person philosophical conversations. And so I did. And Talk Popsy was born. The basic process is simple. I start the conversation with a particular topic, and I write on it, and I publish a book, and I make a body of artworks on the same topic. So these are kind of thoughts I can sort of say are mine, but like I said, they are also the thoughts and the aesthetic practices of all the many, many people who have influenced me. I just had edited those in a particular way and codified them and claimed them as my own, but it's only sort of true that they're mine. They only partially belong to me. But I've pulled them into me and then formed them into little communication balls, I guess, and then handed them back out into the world. At that point, this is the way I see it, the social transductions begin again. The tap starts to flow the other way. I've put out into the world my versions of things, but it is also important to get the data from others, to read the room, so to speak, I guess, right? To find out the mood. And so then we at Talk Popsy, we go out into the world and we ask others, what do you think of this? We go into bars, into bodegas, we set up the tent in parks and galleries, etc. We just sit down with an individual and we ask them what they think about this particular topic. And people say amazing things. Ordinary, everyday people have profound thoughts on particular topics, but often they have not had the chance to articulate those thoughts. We give them that chance. Our third and ongoing topic is art as cognition. The second one was censorship. This kind of divides things well, really. I didn't realize this at the time, but I realized afterwards it does, because the first topic on nominalism was about metaphysics and ontology. The second one was political philosophy. And so this one, artist cognition, is epistemology and aesthetics. It's an odd topic in some ways. Artist cognition, if you have to figure out what cognition means, and you have to figure out what art means, and how that's defined, and then you have to figure out how the two are related, <laughs> none of that is easy. In fact, one can say it was hard enough that people have been trying to do it for several thousand years. But that's not to say there's not progress. I guess it's important to keep positive about these things. You don't want to say the philosophy has been doing stupid things for thousands of years. So I think actually the last couple of decades have been really interesting. 
because there seem to have been some changes that seem important. This is my point of view, maybe, but I feel very strongly about this. Art is not just thought of as beauty writ large or some grand but vague and prissy thing. The science, this is just science now, not philosophy, but science of vision has taught us many things, like how we see not just objects in the world, but we see global scenes, how we see an unbelievable amount of information in just the first hundred couple of milliseconds. It's called just perception. It includes things like colors and basic shapes and textures and other low-level features. How we're able to also identify basic semantic categories in that time. Like if we're looking at an indoor scene or outdoor scene, all kinds of things, we can see incredibly quickly. So looking at art relies on these facts, these facts of how our eyeballs work. And in fact, I would argue that art is almost nothing but a replaying of these facts. Art involves that glancing and re-glancing and then re-glancing again, only then stop us and focusing, foveating on a small part, and then resuming the scanning and glancing again. Our eyes are extremely busy when we look at art, and what we are doing is practicing, well, just looking. It's what we do all the time, but in the art setting, we can set aside the constraints, the pragmatic worries, all the consequences, and we just look. We let our eyes and our brain, importantly our brain, practice that thing that they have evolved over millions of years. Taking it quickly, glancing again quickly, getting emotional cues and affordances. How well does this suit me? What can I do with it? How does it affect me? And then, little by little, building up a take on it, a judgment, a way of absorbing that bit of external reality into my internal state of mind. Art is that thing, as one of the talk popsy participants named Roni said to one of our philosophers, that just stops us in our tracks. I think that's right. I think that is what art is for us. Our habitual, evolutionarily developed just perception doesn't just glide over the artwork. It revisits it again and again. And we indulge in a multitude of eye cicades. We lavish eye cicades. We let our eyes bounce around. We take in over and over. It's a focused practicing of our generalized visual practices. Kind of a practice makes perfect sort of thing, right? So art is the art of looking, right? All of that that was from the viewer's perspective, but also from the viewer's perspective, it is important to take into account some of the points of view of continental phenomenologists when we do that and we start to get a better sense of how that functions for us. And that point is that art is a kind of embodied thing, not just a material thing, not a Platonist ideal of beauty, but a way that art affects and involves our own bodies. This is the point that many participants at Talk Popsy have made. Art affects them physically, psychically, and socially. For example, Marcus talked about Rasta music in his native Guyana and how he was then drawn to music of other cultures, specifically Indian, and how music can create 
for him in ways that nothing else can, happiness. Or Charles, who noted that the symmetry is an aesthetic quality that all art depends on and that must be bred in the bone, he guessed for us genetically, as all animals seem to value it. He gave his example the flights of birds. True, right? It's always symmetrical. And the anthills. He was talking about these giant anthills that in some parts of Africa, like Ghana. And then there was the homeless man named Will Smith. Um, not that Will Smith, the Oscar award slapper, but Will Smith, who wandered into our tent during the worst months of the pandemic in 2020 when we were set up down at the Guanas Canal. And he talked about how he would choose to listen to a song when he was feeling more or less a certain way, but it was only in the moment of listening to that song that he was able to concretely and precisely say, oh yeah, that's the way I was feeling. Art brings us closer to us. This was his point, and it is true. But it also brings us closer to others, and that's important also. Again, a passerby wandered into our tent. Her name was Beth. She was an urban planner. And she talked about how architectural arrangements, such as the town square, can reconfigure both how people relate to one another and their thoughts. If, for example, that she gave, all roads lead to the town square, then people will mill around there, right? Because they were all led to there and not trapped, but this is where they all are now. And so they just relate to one another and talk to one another. If, though, as she pointed out, it's done another way, as it's often done in America, then people just walk through the park. It's a different architecture, but it's also a different way of relating and thinking. And there are so, so many incredible points that people have made. Just a little further sampler about the social aspects that people have brought up, which is kind of another point, but incredibly interesting. Andre, for example, spoke of how art is constructed as a collaboration. We all chip in on the meaning of it. And as that can change, so too can our idea of what we think we are. So self-identity is, in his words, like the ship of Theseus, it changes, it changes, but do we still call it the same ship? This point of art being part of society and social meaning is heard again over and over from participants. Ian Olaslav and Carolina Flores, both of them talk popsy philosophers, had a conversation with each other recently where they talked about art and social narratives, including those of racism and the less insidious group identities, or the conversation of one of the talk popsy philosophers, Nick Whitaker, he had with a father-daughter passerbys named Glenn and Sasha. And they talked about how art's a kind of time-stamped legitimizing of history. We tell ourselves these stories about who we are and where we come from, and art is a very important part of those stories. There's also, in addition, there's this less tied to our narratives aspect and harder to pinpoint but many people have talked about this as well. For example, Laura spoke of the unconscious aspects of perception, which absolutely have been shown to be true by science, and how art supplants what we can get through linguistic symbols. So, relatedly, an anonymous participant, yes, yes, we do allow that, spoke of how art is a kind of taking a break from thinking. 
And, and surely that's true if we think of thinking as discursive, linguistically-based propositions. But is it a break from thinking in the larger scheme of thinking? I would say not, actually. And I would instead say that art's a very important kind of thinking, a kind of cognition that tells us not only about the inner, hidden states of other people, people that we can now sympathize with, at least partially see the world in the way that they saw the world. But it also tells us about ourselves, as our homeless participant noted. It tells us about how we stand in relation to the world, how we feel about a particular thing, whether we are vulnerable or angry or incensed or calm. It tells us how to stand, right? And it tells us how to think of ourselves, how to self-identify how to self-define. Art tells us everything about being human. Uh, yeah, and a couple of last and super really important things. Talk Popsy isn't just this invisible project of us going out into the world and talking to people. Talk Popsy is made up of a team of people, invaluable, wonderful people who work really, really hard to bring this project into the world. There's always about a half a dozen people who are involved. And though there's sometimes a change in membership, because somebody moves away or gets a demanding full-time job or goes to graduate school or medical school, the former members still come back sometimes and we still think of ourselves as part of this unit. So Stephen, Andre, Morgan, John, Moksha, Jesse, Ulysses, Tatiana, and many others, the gratitude is flowing to you. Oh, and, of course, the organizational chart is not complete without putting in place the top dog. Our head is Popsy, and not a dog at all. I've neglected entirely this point. Popsy is the CEO, the leader, the avatar split into reality. Our puppet, Popsy. And, of course, our puppeteer, Christina. I couldn't be more grateful to all of these people, and to the not-people ones as well, Thank you, Popsy. You stand for all of us philosophers. And so my practice is all about bringing those thoughts out into the open, sharing them, making the fluid movement of thought speed up a little bit, allowing the thoughts to seep into each other. It's about listening. That's what we do. As one of our early Talk Popsy team members said, Change happens when people talk. Tatiana was right. Change does happen when people talk. And also when they listen. <laughs>